Welcome to the Customer Experience Management Podcast, hosted by Anders Gustafsson and Carlos Velasco. In this episode, Carlos interviews Dr. Janice Wang and Ph.D. student Francisco Barbosa on augmented and virtual reality experiences. Welcome everyone to the Customer Experience Management Podcast. Uh, today I have two very special guests. Uh, Professor Janice Wang and her PhD student uh, Francisco Barbosa. They are both located in Aarhus University in Denmark, and we will be talking about um, something that is becoming more and more interesting in uh, different industries, or it's uh, many industries are, are becoming interested in, in in these technologies like augmented reality and virtual reality. We're going to be talking about these what we call mixed reality experiences, which are experiences that involve these. Um, technologies through the reality virtuality continuum that they will tell you in a moment what is that about but before we start i would like to give them the word to introduce themselves and expand a little bit on what i just said and then we will continue to a conversation on these topics so janice francisco welcome to the podcast um please thank introduce you yourselves thank you for listening. yeah um so my name is janice wang i'm an assistant professor here in orhus university in the department of food science um, so in general, my research has to do with uh, how people make sense of the world, how do they you know, make the decision of why they eat what they eat. And because my background is in both computer science and experimental psychology, um, I'm very interested in using novel technologies um, like mixed reality to, to study human behavior. And then Francisco? Yes, uh, well, thank you, Carlos. Uh, my name is Francisco Barbosa. Uh, I'm a PhD student at Aarhus University. Uh, Janice is my supervisor. And well, my research, I have a background in finance and my research uh, deals with cosmological correspondences involving temperature and also mixed reality. That is excellent. Thank you both for your introduction. One of the things that I really like about your profiles, which is something that I was also discussing with Olivia Petit last, uh, in the last podcast, is that you are very multidisciplinary. And I think that when we talk about experiences, that's something that is very important, right? Because experiences can be approached from different angles and you know, human beings are multidimensional in that sense, right? But uh, let's start with the with the first question that I'm asking everyone that I invite to the podcast, and is what are experiences? What are customer experiences for you? So I think maybe I'll take the experience part, and I'll let Francisco answer the customer experience part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like you said, Carlos, what experience can be defined in so many ways. Like I. Even I, I went and looked at some dictionary definitions, and even there, they're very different. Um, for for some, it's about like the process of the experience. So the definition has to do with like, you know, what's the perception? Uh, is it is it doing or sensing or hearing? So there's a there's a component of experience that has to do with like interaction with with the world, whether it's an external or internal world. And another part that's very interesting with the definition of experience is that it's something that you know leaves an impact or makes an impression or changes how you feel. And I've never thought about that definition of experience as in not what is happening while you have the experience, but what is the, the after effect and what does it leave you with? And I feel like that's actually a really cool way to think about experience is you know, how does it change the person who, goes, who undergoes it? 
Um, that is fascinating. That is something that Charles uh, Spence was also saying in the podcast somehow, like what he's most interested in is more than what you go through in the moment. It's yeah, the memory of what exactly. happened in the moment, right? It's like the impression, the sort of like impact that it had on you. Yeah, but like the fact that that is actually a definition of experience mm -hmm. is something that leaves an impact or impression. For me, that's super interesting. Because I think as, as researchers, often we get caught up in just designing what's in the moment. Mm -hmm. And maybe what we should also pay a lot of attention to is what happens afterwards. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think this ties very well uh, with the customer experience. Because uh, if, we, if we look at a customer experience from the perspective of all the interactions that a customer has with a company or a brand, uh, before, during, and after a uh, purchase-specific thing. This can be direct or indirect, but if you look at, at this uh, after uh, afterthought or, well, the, the entire period after the purchase itself, you get into the loyalty aspect as well. And then you can tie this to more tangible financial um, aspects. So loyalty, uh, customer lifetime value. Yeah, so I think repurchase it's, tendency, something Yes, like so I, I think it's a, a very, Cyclical. Uh, cyclical, yes, precisely, uh, matter. So it's very multidimensional as well. That is super interesting. I guess it's also the, the fact that, you know, uh, because you typically don't have one experience, let's say once, but maybe, for example, with a product or service, you can have an experience several times. So then in that repetition is that kind of like what you're saying uh, ends up happening, right? Like how does it impact in time, you know, uh, the sort of things that you are interfacing with the company? Uh, through, I guess. All right, that's interesting. So one of the things that we were talking, and I think this is a good point to connect uh, with your expertise. We were talking with Olivia Petit, uh, one pod, uh, like, uh, uh, yeah, the last podcast about this idea, you know, our experiences are more and more involved in digi digital elements. And one of the things that you mentioned in uh, one of your research articles, uh, actually one that we wrote yeah, together, we wrote together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but that you also, you know, like I know that you you have many more interesting uh, um, experiments and and sort of like uh, experiences in it. Is this idea, you know, we have this uh, experience space ranging from uh, real to virtual. Uh, and some engineers uh, back in the day, I think this 1994, defined what they call their reality virtuality continuum. So why don't you tell us a little bit what, what is this and what do we have in it? Sure. Um, yeah, so it's from 1995, actually. Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, okay. But, but in the reality virtuality spectrum, so like you said, Carlos, we can imagine with um, reality, physical reality on on one side and then pure everything being virtual on the other side. Um, and maybe I will bring in the, the pub analogy that I brought up in one of our papers, because I think this is a really easy way to explain. So imagine that you're at a pub and you're drinking a beer. Mm -hmm. On one hand, the physical reality would be you're in a, a real pub somewhere, you're drinking a, a real physical beer. Um, on the other hand, if we're talking about virtual virtual reality, where everything is virtual, you're, you're sitting somewhere with a VR headset, and then you can see a virtual pub, and maybe you can move around a virtual beer, but everything is virtual. Mm. Um, and then you have in the middle, I think, is where the really interesting thing happens, mm -hmm. uh, the mixed reality scenarios. So if we move 
uh, maybe let's start with closer to the, the physical reality side. We can have augmented reality, which is becoming very popular nowadays because it's very easy to make an augmented reality app on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we think about an augmented reality experience in a pub, it could be something like you're in a real pub with a real beer, but if you scan your phone over the beer, it tells you some information about maybe where the beer comes from what's the content of the beer, um, or maybe some food pairing suggestions with the beer. So that would be an augmented reality experience where we're overlaying digital information on top of physical reality. But if we move more towards the virtual spectrum, we can have also something that's called augmented virtual reality Hmm. as opposed to virtual virtual reality. And in augmented virtual reality, what you could have is someone who is sitting somewhere with a VR headset, they see a virtual pub, but they can be holding a real beer and they can be drinking the real beer while seeing the virtual pub um, with the VR headset. And in this way, you're still in a virtual environment, but it's augmented with elements coming from the real world. Which is fascinating because, you know, like in a way, all these digital elements can be uh, many things, right? They do not necessarily need to be something that, for example, you were saying, I mean, you can be drinking the beer in a pub, uh, a virtual pub, right? That is designed for you, but that virtual pub might well have uh, dinosaurs in the tables drinking beer, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so so, uh, drinking the beer, it might not even be a beer, but you're tasting something uh, virtually. Uh, so you can use uh, so some smells or some uh, el- electric taste uh, stimuli, for example. So mm-hmm. if we if we go to that extreme, it might not be a physical view per se with with the liquid, but you can also go beyond that in some extreme cases. <laughs> yeah. So I think the point here is that if we do augmented virtuality, um, we can like break the the laws of physics. <laughs> <laughs> and exactly. alter reality in a way where so you can have a beer that changes color so you know it doesn't have to be a beer you can have a magic elixir that changes colors if you want <laughs> really crazy um but it kind of opens up this um this world of creating new experiences that people have never you know experienced before so that is that is something that is uh, quite intriguing because if you see in the in the industry now like there are many customer experiences that involve or not many but you know there are like increasing uh, customer experiences involving augmented reality for example Domino's Pizza allows you to you know pay, project the, the pizza before you order it in your physical environment as if it was part of it or you can have a for example a virtual reality experience in a pop-up events of coca-cola where you are kind of like in uh, flying with santa claus in christmas uh, throughout the world you know so there are like all the different experiences that aim to create kind of like some differentiation in the market but something that we have been discussing is this idea that uh, what you just said, you know, we can break the laws of physics. We can perhaps uh, go from a uh, real context environments, objects to more fantastic elements in the experiences. And tying to this, we recently uh, co-wrote an article on impossible experiences. So in this article, we present a model that helps us navigate or present these uh, uh, sort of experiences. Why don't you tell us about what can we do? Yeah. 
Francisco, I'll let you explain the, the unicorn model that we have. Yes. So, <laughs> I love uh, the nickname, though. <laughs> yes, the unicorn model is a model very close to our to heart. hearts. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, basically, it, it consists of uh, two axes. In the horizontal axis, we have a reality fantasy continuum. So things that exist versus in reality versus things that don't exist in reality. And in the y-axis, we have um, the laws that govern these elements. Uh, so uh, below, we have the, the laws of physics. And above, we have other laws that are not the real laws of physics as we know them. So in the first quadrant, that will give us uh, for example, a horse. A horse exists, and they're governed by the laws of physics. So a horse running through a meadow. So that is very real. In <laughs> the second quadrant, we have uh, so reality uh, objects and governed by other laws. So we can have a flying horse without wings. Uh, <laughs> yes. Very so, important. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so horses exist, but in, in this particular case, the horse is not being governed by the laws of physics. Then we have quadrant three, where we uh, intersect uh, fantasy and laws of physics. So we can have a unicorn, for example, a fantastic being that we know of, but being uh, a unicorn running through a meadow. So that it, so it's being governed by the laws of physics, but it's a fantastic one. And then we have the most interesting example, a flying unicorn. Hmm. Unicorns don't exist, and it's not governed, being governed by the laws of physics. So this is a model that we believe uh, can expand opportunities to create fantastic scenarios. In so something that I, I like that that's yeah it's fascinating. If I, if I link that uh, model with the the pub example that Janice was giving, mm -hmm. let's say we can have uh, I don't know how why don't you help me to build build that up? But I, I was just thinking that maybe for in oh. the other laws, fantastic scenario you you can be let's say in a pub where you are folding up with dinosaurs drinking beer around you, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yes. So you're bio, like it's not attaching to a lot of physics. You're folding up, which typically we fold down, right? Unless yeah. there is some gravity yeah. involved. So whatever you're drinking could be like floating all around in space. Um, exactly, yeah. and you have fantastic. Uh, or they were real, but they don't exist anymore. So dinosaurs. <laughs> so what? What about the other quadrants? What could we say in the in these uh, pop examples? Um, well, if you are drinking in a pub with um, maybe with dinosaurs around, that could be loss of physics, but in a fantasy realm. Yeah. Um, or you could be drinking, maybe not with dinosaurs per se, but you can be drinking with, um, you know, famous people throughout society um, who no longer exist, but you can see them and interact with them in some way. Um, I would love to drink a beer in a pub with Nietzsche. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to <laughs> Maybe you need something stronger, like vodka, rather than beer. Yeah. <laughs> um, or if we talk about the, the quadrant two, where it's reality, but other laws that could be sitting around in a normal beer, normal beer, normal pub, but where the beer could be flowing in a way that normal beers don't flow. Mm. Or I'm trying to think. What other laws of physics? Only the way you interact with the beer could be different. Yeah, it, it can be a endless fountain of beer, for instance. And that's something that, you know, like what I like is that uh, 
this model basically is kind of like a means for creative uh, discussion, right? Because we can just start kind of like thinking, okay, what sort of laws of physics do we have that we can use? What sort of fantastic elements can we add? Yeah, so it's on. like a, a guidance of, of a way to do structured thinking instead yeah. of telling people, come up with an impossible experience. Mm -hmm. um, I think of it kind of almost like semantics where you have, you can change your nouns or you can change your verbs. Mm -hmm. Where the nouns are, you know, the reality fantasy spectrum and the, the verbs are the, you know, the laws governing the relationships between the objects. I like that. That's a, a very nice uh, way of thinking about it. So let me let me change a little bit uh, the topic now. Or I mean, we're still in the same kind of like uh, space, but something that have got my attention from your work is that you know, on the one hand, we have been talking so far about designing experiences in virtual reality or in augmented reality. But there is this other part of these technologies, which is you can actually use them to measure experiences. So, for example, you have a virtual supermarkets that you can use to emulate, let's say, a supermarket visit, or even the same pub example. You can, let's say, see a, be a pub and maybe create a virtual re representation of the pub in virtual reality, where you can kind of like do testing and evaluate how people experience the pub. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your take on how can we use these technologies for measuring experiences uh, and maybe one example from your research? Well, we could talk about some examples of what we would like to do for research. Okay. But, um, but yeah, in, in this review paper that you so uh, kindly brought up, um, we do talk about different ways that we can use to, to measure the experiences. Uh, with virtual reality, because there are both ups and downs. Um, so one of the things we looked at is how data is usually collected with a VR study, mm -hmm. um, because what becomes more difficult is like collecting data or how do you make people see questions in VR? That's a bit more difficult. Um, in some of our studies, we literally ask people to reply, you know, on a scale of one to nine, how well does this taste right now? So, so this is maybe like the downside of, with VR, it becomes a bit more difficult to replicate what otherwise we can do without VR, like a questionnaire. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, what I think VR has a lot of potential to do is to measure more implicitly people's behavior. Hmm. Um, for example, we have the um, we have a VR headset um, that has eye tracking built in. So normally, if you want to do an eye tracking study, say in the real world, you mm -hmm. either have to do it with a screen based eye tracker, or you can have these kind of clunky mobile eye tracking glasses, and people feel very self aware. But the beauty of a VR headset is that they're already wearing something over their eyes. So when you have these built in sensors it doesn't take away from the, say, the immersiveness of the experience. So it can become very easy to also track where people are looking at. And um, depending on how you, what you use to track their hand movements, you can also have you know, completely quantified how fast are they moving their hands, um, where are they moving. So you know, in exchange for maybe not being so easy to collect explicit data, it becomes extremely easy to collect implicit data. And to capitalize on all these sensors, right? That's a fantastic uh, element of it as well, which is that you can have like sensors of movement, sensors of action, sensors of yeah, different um, things. 
yeah you yeah. can also put on like you know skin conductance heart rate um i i saw one study out of the mit media lab where you know again they're capitalizing on the fact you're wearing something already they actually added additional electrodes to measure um facial movement mm -hmm. so you could kind of measure facial expressions oh nice uh-huh well you're wearing the headset so i think there's a lot of possibility there in you know adding sensors capturing additional information um in that sense yeah. and i mean you can uh piggybacking on on the eye tracking you can some degree measure pupil dilation mm -hmm. for instance uh even some pressure sensors if you're uh if you're having people in a virtual environment uh grasp objects or and yeah interact with objects you can measure some uh, pressure as well and yeah as as you mentioned speed in which people uh take objects and how they interact with them that's a lot of possibilities so. that is super interesting um i mean i think this this topic of measurement i, I also seen some of your your uh, um articles in which for example change the color of a coffee or or perhaps francisco some Exactly. Some of your research, Francisco, in which you, uh, you know, like that we actually also did together, but in which, you know, like you bring the context where, for example, a product is produced uh, yes. to make people in, immersed and try the product in, in that context, right? Yes. Um, exactly. And you, you can bring more senses to this, uh, not, not just uh, the visual elements, but some aromas, for example, some uh, soundscapes to, to the elements and create it every time. Uh, more immersive, and you can measure this. Thing. Which is quite interesting. Like when you when you think about these uh, old old school attempts to develop like immersive uh, media, like you know, uh, odorama or like uh, these these old uh, multi-sensory film experiences that were done in the sixties. Like many of these ones didn't actually uh, end up uh, getting the public's attention because they were kind of like. Uh, maybe not technically sound, and perhaps they were not considering how the senses work. But it seems that now we have a little bit more of an understanding and new technologies that we might be able to use for that purpose. I, I don't know if you would agree with me in that sense. Um, I I think so, especially with the the fact that you know headsets are getting cheaper, um, with augmented reality, you know more and more phone apps contain elements of augmented reality. So I think it's also getting more well, and also I I think the whole COVID lockdown has forced everybody to be much more digital um, at a faster rate than I think it would have happened normally. And, and I think that all contributed to you know, pushing these kind of technologies more to the forefront because we are interacting with it more. Hmm. And I wanted to, to address something else that you mentioned, Carlos, which is I think that visual development is definitely getting ahead of everything else. Mm -hmm. um, like, even just for sound, which is something that's also very easily digitalizable. Um, not so many VR experiences actually utilize 360 sound when they could be. That is correct, yeah. Like, and sound, and directional sound can contribute so much to immersiveness. Um, and I really think this is an element that's being underlooked. That is an excellent point because also uh, that helps you kind of like be more immersed perhaps into the experience and also feel more as if you were there right which is what in vr we call the sense of presence but now that you mentioned that uh, like you're, you're 
just making me think of a lot of questions while you speak, uh, but I will try to <laughs> divide them one by one. The first one is, what are some key elements that people need to consider when, uh, you know, like thinking about either doing an experience in VR or conducting some uh, experience measurement in VR? Because you have mentioned two of those. Like, I think one would be perhaps the sense of immersion, to what extent you feel you're in, immersed in the environment. The other one is the sense of press, to what extent you feel that you are there. I don't know, what else uh, should we consider? Um, I think something that's very important is to consider to what extent can your specific technology handle the scenario that you have in mind? Um, hmm. Because one of the drawbacks of VR, at least, is this motion sickness that people tend to experience. And that's when what you, your, your movements, your motion doesn't quite line up with what your eyes is seeing. And this could happen, I mean, this used to happen much more back in the day before the technology was fast enough. Um, <laughs> now we do have faster hardware, but the problem is that people are also getting more ambitious. Yeah. Um, and you know, tied to this immersion issue, people are thinking, oh, I can represent my, my scenarios with more pixels and you know, more photorealistic effects. Yes, but that's also going to have a cost in terms of what kind of hardware you need. Um, <laughs> And I think there's a very fine line that people have to walk to make sure that you get an environment or a scene that's sufficiently immersive, but at the same time has low enough lag so that you don't actually you know, induce uh, motion sickness and have a drawback. So I think technological capabilities may be something that should be considered. And I think that you can actually get away with a lot of immersion without maybe a lot of um, like technical muscle, so to speak. Okay, yeah. and, and tying back to this point, um, even if you use, um, I mean, not low quality graphs, but if you use avatars, for example, uh, tying this back to the game industry, for example, uh, people mm -hmm. actually like avatars and they're okay in avatars. They feel immersed even they're not, if they're not um, like seeing themselves in there. So mm -hmm. they embody this uh, persona and it's very immersive. Um, and well, uh, apart from that, I think going back to the customer experience, I think a very important point is to have a purpose in mind, not just use the technology <laughs> for the sake of it, yeah. using the technology. Yeah. Especially if you're a company and you want to develop a, a meaningful experience, uh, tying back to your brand, you need to have a clear purpose and a, be based it on that. So you have, and then you can measure what you want and how to improve the experience. With that is, yeah, these two are excellent points uh, and I, I echo both of them. Uh, and in terms of the, the, the later point that you're mentioning, Frank, I think uh, it is common to get excited about new technologies, but then, you know, like it's, what's the purpose? Is it really cost efficient? You know, is it gonna get me closer to my aim relative to say use another kind of media or another kind of uh, thing? And the other thing that we need to consider tied to the purpose is, the target audience, right? Because if you don't know, I mean, how many people in your target audience have a VR headset? So yeah. it might be a case that you can just not deliver it. You might just have to do like a pop-up event or a, or something different, you know, in order to deliver the experience. Yes. And I think that's why augmented reality is becoming maybe arguably more popular because it's so much easier to deliver. All you need is a smartphone and nowadays everyone has a smartphone. Um, maybe I'll just mention something. Um, a study that Frank and I did 
quite recently um, mm -hmm. had to do with augmented reality. Um, so um, I, I, I guess designed, made a Snapchat lens. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. um, and uh, so that's like an augmented reality lens for people to see the world, um, you know, if climate change were to take place. So you still wow. see the world around you, but there's like smoke, there's a wildfire. Um, you also, if you see, look at yourself, where you've aged, right? So it's this dystopia experience. Um, but this was a Snapchat lens, it was public. Um, most of the people who came to our um, like food festival uh, tent, they all had Snapchat. So it was very easy to deliver uh, augmented reality experience, like super fast for free um, <laughs> to the public. So I think this is like a great potential there too. Yeah. And it yeah. also gives you the opportunity to iterate since you can update it very easily. You can iterate on, on the model and you can get feedback from, uh, from customers, for example. That's measure. what I was going to say. Probably you also have all the sensors and all the uh, things that are happening in that interaction tracked, so that you can improve, kind of like as as things go. Yeah. Uh, but that I, I like. I think that the what you just mentioned, Janice, actually connects very well with the second question that I wanted to ask you uh, after I was trying to organize in my head what to to ask, but um, or how more than what. Uh, but the, the question is. So one of the things, and you know, like connecting also with the input, like the, the unicorn model, uh, is that <laughs> now we have, you know, like these technologies that are becoming more uh, ever present in our lives, or at least in certain countries, uh, you could say. And there are also several attempts, you know, of uh, developing like these smart glasses. There is a new case of uh, Ray-Ban with Facebook, and you know, there are like all these different okay. uh, new technologies. And it seems to me that the, the more the technology progresses and the more we integrate it into our bodies, because now it's a phone between us and the world, let's say, for augmented reality. Before it could be like later, it could be glasses or maybe contact lessons, maybe move toward what we call the, the like more, more than human computer interaction. We interacting with a technology is human computer integration. We putting the technology in our bodies so that it can like expand our human abilities. It seems to me that there is kind of like an ethical uh, element to consider there because the, the boundaries between the real and the virtual could start becoming a little bit fussy uh, or, you know, I don't know, like it's something that makes me wonder. So what, what are your, what are your, what's your take in general well, about the ethical implications of these technologies in our experiences? So Carlos, can I, I want to push back on you really quickly and maybe bring up a philosophical point. <laughs> Yeah, please do. Please do. <laughs> Excellent. Um, it has to do with what you said about the boundary between the virtual and digital getting fuzzy. But but I I don't think this is new, actually. Um and maybe this is getting too philosophical now. Um because but, what, what, what my point is if you think reading or listening to music or watching a play, um in a way is that really so different from putting on virtual reality goggles? So that is a, a very interesting question. I think it, it has to do with the sort of evolution of technology in general, right? That technology, if you, if you think about the most basic definitions of technology is things that allow you to sort of like uh, uh, 
manipulate your environment in one way or another. So it's something that you put, let's say, between yourself and your environment that allows you to both better perform in the environment and control that environment better. So in a way, it has a similarity. But if you think about reading, you have to imagine if you think about, uh, like, I don't know, like the, there is a vividness and sort of like some direct representation of let's see another reality and and to be to be fair i would say that i would agree with you this is not new i think we already live in a sort of mixed reality in the sense that we all have smartphones and stuff like that mm-hmm. and therefore the boundary is already a little bit fuzzy because you know we are interacting through so many different means i can send you a letter by post or a text message on whatsapp so what's the you know the boundary there is like so so but but my question is in these immersive technologies let's say that can create these new layers of reality, if you like. Yeah, so I think I think there's two main issues here. Um, maybe I'll talk about one and I'll let Frank talk about the other one. So mm-hmm. I think the, the two issues, one has to do with kind of data security and privacy, and the other one has to do with the impact to the person itself. So maybe I'll, I'll address the, the privacy one. Um, I think the difference between maybe reading a book or watching a play versus, you know, having VR headsets or having a phone is who has access to this data. Hmm. Um, And I would argue that if you're reading a book, it's kind of like a one way, you know, one way passageway where you have a book and you're reading it and that's information getting into you. But now if I'm using a Snapchat lens, maybe Snapchat knows who, when I'm using it and and what I'm looking at perhaps. Mm And I think the ethical consideration comes in because now all of a sudden there's a third party that's mediating between me and the world. Um, oh, wow. And, yeah, and what information is this third party getting? Hmm. Um, and what information am I sending knowingly or unknowingly to someone else who can kind of maybe experience the world through, through my body? Um, and I think that's where the ethical dilemma comes. Like, you know, how do we make sure we preserve people's privacy but at the same time um you know with the advent of say more and more um artificial intelligence becoming part of our world it's very clear that having access to our personalized data it does have beneficial sides and we can design more tailor-made more customized experiences but on the other hand we have to keep in mind of who has access to our data so mm. I don't want to say that, you know, to cut it off and say no one else can have access to my data, it's only mine. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, how do we responsibly control the access to people's own data and make sure that we can protect privacy? And maybe the definition of privacy has to be changed. Now, this is getting like <laughs> super big. <laughs> no, but it makes absolute sense because, you know, one of the, the worrying things about sort of the, or not, I don't, I don't know if worrying thing, but at least it's something to really think about is that sometimes the technology uh, evolves in a way that uh, legislation comes later yeah. not first. Uh, and therefore, uh, you know, like we really find the way in which we interact, the way in which we experience and everything. And then the, like the, the lawmakers come and say like, oh, wait a minute, what is going on here? But we need to have these discussions uh, starting now, right? I mean, before things actually happen. Yeah, and I think that's why, for example, even in, in Orkut, recently there's a new center for like ethics and um, artificial intelligence. I mean, and, and I agree, this is like a catch-up game. <laughs> but 
often we don't know what the implications of the new technology is until maybe it does get used and then people realize, oh, this is maybe what happens. Um, but anyways, going back to the ethics, uh, Francisco, you can talk about yes, the more uh, personal side of Yes, uh, talking mm -hmm. about customization of experiences. Uh, another ethical, uh, ethical aspect to consider is um, to what extent you're affecting uh, the receiver of the experience. Because um, you might have so crazy experiences, or not even necessarily crazy, but uh, you need to adapt to the person. Uh, because I might be looking at a dinosaur, and I might be very, very scared of dinosaurs, for example. And that might be a, a very emotional and traumatic experience for me. So to, oh. what, to what point do you push the technology and the experience for specific people? How much can you affect them in the long term? This also has to do with the uh, exposure and uh, eventual um, dependency on technologies. And then you're like, oh, it's my reality, not reality. And that is, yeah, that is, that is true. And also because if you think about it, let's say, I don't know, let's say you have arachnophobia or you have a phobia for a specific animal or something or insect, and then you just see it on a TV ad, then you know that it's, you know, like the TV is there, but if you're immersed in an environment, yeah. Yeah. Right. And then you just see it. I have seen many people in some experiments that I have done with virtual reality trying to reach things or just, you know, getting away because they think that it's uh, it's going to attack them, like something is going to attack them or something. So you might wonder, like, how the real realism that these technologies bring might affect differently people with maybe specific uh, things that make them specific, you know, in, in terms of a uh, population or a group. Yeah, but I mean, I think this is a double edged sword. Right, the fact that we are pushing for more immersion and more presence in the world, um, it's at once good and also potentially bad because everything that might, you know, be traumatic becomes more traumatic and, and mm. kind of more stressful. Mm. Um, but on the plus side, I think this is why there's so many, you know, VR-based therapies for people who mm. have like, you know eating disorders or addiction because they're able to mimic such a realistic experience. So maybe it's a, a case of with greater power comes greater responsibility. <laughs> yeah, which, which the therapy uh, aspect poses even more ethical problems. So how, how far can you push and what type of things can you apply it to uh, from murder to child abuse? I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. of course. Like there's, there's like a world of possibilities in it. Uh, and I, but I, I don't know if you would agree with me. But some, something that I like to think and I like to start uh, closing this question is that, uh, of course, there are like a lot of different things that uh, that we can do, and there is a lot of responsibility, and there are many things that we worry about. But with technologies, we have always worried. So I wouldn't label the technology as good or as bad. You know, like in the fifties, in the forties, before. TV, radio, and all that stuff was worrying in one sense or another. Uh, but it's more like, okay, how does this impact us? What are some good uses? What are some uh, more problematic uses? And where do we want to draw the line? Yeah. Um, all right. This is this has been a, a fascinating discussion, Gianni uh, San Francisco. Uh, I I want to ask you one. Uh, I mean, I could stay here for like another couple of hours, but. <laughs> I want to ask you one final question as, as you know, like these, in this podcast, we're going to have uh, many people uh, from 
customer experience management, wanting to hear some tips or things that uh, you would recommend to them. So what what would you recommend for a person that wants to use AR or VR in customer experience? Um, okay, so maybe I'll, I'll start with, with one tip. And this is to avoid sensory overload. <laughs> Good one. And, and this goes back to what, what Frank was talking about earlier as well, about, you know, just because you have the technology doesn't mean that you have to use it or you just, you have to throw everything at it. Um, mm -hmm. It's very important to have a goal and a purpose mm -hmm. and to think about what kind of sensory stimulation you want to give the person. And to keep in mind that, if, especially if you do a, a VR experience, most people are new to VR. Um, it takes some time for people to get used to it. Um, and from an experimental perspective, this is why we always say give them a practice trial first. <laughs> um, so they can get used to the world. And you have to let people get used to things and not, you know, just because you can do something, just do it. Like, it really has to be thoughtful um, because the downside of having this like incongruent sensory stimuli all throwing at you is going to be much worse than if you didn't do anything at all. So I think in a way, maybe less is better or congruent is better. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. And, and it's what you say, you know, like not only uh, use the technology with purpose, as Francisco was saying as well, but also don't bombard people in the immersive environments that you're using. Like, uh, just be, be neat, in a way. Yes. Francisco. Uh, yes, so uh, building on the purpose, of course, you need to have the purpose. Uh, I think that's key in everything. Uh, and how congruent is the experience you want to give customers with, your, with the brand? And <laughs> my tip is iterate. Uh, if you're not familiar with virtual reality or augmented reality, get some Google Cardboard very cheap and start iterating make a minimum viable brand uh, uh, iteration process. Excellent. Start, start building from, from scratch. You can learn a lot from this iterative process. And that is also a great recommendation, which is something that for, for, for those of you who are listening that don't know, uh, there is like very cheap uh, virtual reality technology. Of course, the, the definition is not necessarily the best, but for rapid prototyping is very good, such as uh, Google Cardboard, which is this cardboard-based I think $5 uh, virtual reality headset that you just need like the, the this headset and your smartphone and then you can prototype uh, relatively um, easily. All right, uh, thank you so much, Janice uh, and Francisco. It was, it's been a very uh, good discussion. Uh, thank you for being part of the Customer Experience Management Podcast. Thank you, thank you Carlos, for inviting us to speak. Yeah. <laughs> um, would you remind for the interested reader the title of the virtual reality article? Um, getting started with virtual realities, right? Yeah, um, getting started with virtual reality for sensory and consumer science, current practices and future perspectives. Excellent. So those of you who are interested, uh, the article is available online and uh, there, there is more content on these topics. So mm -hmm. thank you very much again, Janice and Francisco. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you.